death. Jeez, I'm reading that later. Um, <laughs> oh my God. Save. Save. Yeah, this LinkedIn save. You know, how do I not fall victim to that? Okay, and let me find this on LinkedIn. For anyone who might be bopping in, we had a technical malfunction on the LinkedIn side, but we're here, we're live. And Jared and I, Jared, what were we just talking about? We were just talking about how weird it is out there. Um, and you said, we need to start with this. And I was like, all right, we do need to start with this. Um, so what I was getting at, and welcome, Aussie. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I, I had something. I, I had to finish something at work. All right. No worries. So what I was saying was, is like all indicators, most of the normal indicators we look at for like the sky is falling economically, market-wise, nearly all of those indicators are like normal or holding steady. There's no real drama out there. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, but when I'm out there with small business owners, they are mortified. I was just telling Jarrett, like uh, we were having to uh, modify some things at in my business because we've noticed revenues dip and we're trying to get ahead of it. And people aren't paying the same for a website. So I guess I'm just opening with that today and asking you guys, is it weird out there to you? It is weird out here for me. I'm, I'll go back to the, the story of I just put an offer in on a house. Um, yeah. And... Uh, this house, you know, it needs a lot of work, but in in the housing market, it's pretty, uh, you know, it's in a decent area. Uh, it's been sitting on the market since July. and Since July. That and is... despite multiple price reductions, I'm the first person to put in, in an offer on the house. Wow. And so that's, and even then I felt comfortable offering way below asking. Like and I've been I've hearing never this heard a lot. of another human going as low as you went. Are, do you feel comfortable saying publicly? I, I percentage mean, wise, percentage. yeah, yeah, percentage. percentage wise, I went um, a little. <laughs> I offered a little bit more than half of their asking price. <laughs> I have never, in my so, years of real estate, have heard of someone going. Yeah, I kind of like it, but I'll take half. <laughs> <laughs> and what was the response? Loosely, again, paraphrase, whatever. What was the response? I, I mean, <laughs> the, they were disappointed in, in the offer, but at the same time, they they haven't just straight up rejected the offer either. It, they said, we were disappointed in the offer, but they didn't do an immediate no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, out the gate, right? Like if someone came at me and was like, you're asking 300? Ah, 150. No. And leave the room, right? <laughs> like, leave the room. You can't even come back to bat. But they're like, no, we'll come back to you, you know? Aussie is, uh, he's negotiating like he's from the Caribbean, and I like it, you know? Yeah, man, I'm here. You're like, the coconut's five. He's like, it's two and a half. <laughs> let's, yeah. let's, let's peel this one back. Also, Tristan says, Baller, taking that PVD offer strategy, I don't know what that means, and I hope I didn't just swear on air. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick Bet David, probably, right? That, Maybe. Isn't that a PVD? Like, that, that's, how, that's who I know. Patrick Bet David uh, is a speaker, right? Like, 
So I think he just goes for it. Yeah, I think that's his negotiating technique. <laughs> maybe, maybe Tristan, maybe that's what it is. So I guess, I mean, my question stands, Jared, is life just normal watching the Colombian peso depreciate and you feel like a god living in your ivory tower in Bogota? Jeez, you really just TLDR'd my life. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, between the last episode and this episode, I'm 12% richer, so that feels great. Just uh, because, because of inflation. Yeah, just because inflation and the way I have things set up here, I, I pay my rent uh, in U.S. dollars based on a Colombian peso price. So it's the, today I actually have to pay my rent, so it will be cheaper than if I had paid it a week ago by around 10 to 10 to 12%. Um, Allison says, I could imagine their response. The thing is, I don't know if we can because Aussie says that they didn't straight up just reject them. And the thing is, this is I, I took the real estate course because I wanted to be a realtor and I still eventually one day want to pass that just so if I ever sell real estate, I can just save a bunch of money. And the thing about real this was like the greatest thing it was on it was on the test. It was like, what is how much does real estate cost? Right? How much does a house cost? And the answer is whatever price the buyer and the seller agree on, that's it. It doesn't yeah. even matter if the market says this house is 500 k if the buyer and seller agree that it's 300K, guess what? That's where it's getting sold at. The yeah. buyer and seller agree that it's 750, guess what? That's what it's getting sold at. And that's where yeah. real estate is a really great opportunity to make money because it really comes down. It's beyond market forces. Sentiment plays a role. There's an emotional thing. It's not just a logical thing. Like I'm yeah. not going to pay, for example, 25,000. Like no one's going to sell me Bitcoin right now for 25,000. No. Nor would I pay 30,000. We're going to probably get within a percentage point of what the price is on like, you know, the global average exchange, probably looking at coin market cap, but that's what real estate is a really unique thing. Um, and real estate are all non fungible, which is really cool. There's no two pieces of real estate that are the exact same. True. Even if you have a duplex, the way that the way the sun can hit the building on like one side yeah. could be different. If there's wind, it could be different. Maybe the parking space on that side of the house is a yeah. little bit different. So that's where real estate is really very interesting. And if Jackie were here, she would go right into her tokenization rant. Um, so uh, <laughs> tokenize. Tristan, to tokenize everything. Tristan says, Patrick bet David talks about offer stupid low because worst case scenario, they say no. I don't think it's a bad thing. I just had friends visiting here from, Colum uh, from, from the States, visiting Colombia, and we were talking about uh, my negotiating tactics. And they can get kind of crazy because we were down in like the market buying stuff. And it's like, you know, they'll be like 10. And I'll be like, mm, seven. And what I really want is eight, right? But I'm trying to you know, throw them a bone. Yeah. And if they don't budge, I just told them the hardest thing, all you have to do is just turn around and walk away. And if they don't call out for you, it's a win yeah. because you didn't want to pay that price anyways. And if they do, then you got the price that you wanted. So there's actually no loss in really hamstringing people with negotiations. Oh, yeah. If people really do have value, they're not going to drop it. Um, and then they're just going to say, That's hey, true. thanks so much. I know what my value is. Go, go ahead. Allison says, I guess it depends how much they bought it for. And if they picked it up for 50 to 100K, it's still 3X. Yeah, I mean, Aussie, that's crazy, the real estate you get up there. Like, you can't even redo your bathroom in Massachusetts for under 80000 and that's not hyperbole. So, like, mm. I, I want to be in your real estate world. Uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, the, the offer that I was able to put on the house is because the house – I could either literally tear down the house or sink a couple hundred thousand dollars into it. So, mm. the, there's, like, there's parts of my market that are – I'm able to – I think you're able to negotiate more on these houses that need work now because 
the interest rates are so high that it's actually pretty prohibitive to borrow for for rehabs and and things like that and so you can i think you can negotiate a hell of a lot more now and i think that's maybe one of the upsides of this market is a lot of people are priced out oh yeah but i don't you know i I talk to a lot of um whenever i get the chance i talk to a lot of real estate investors and this weekend i was at an event and i was able to talk to several investors and um I asked all of them. One of them has one of the highest performing Keller Williams in the world. And um, in terms of listings and transaction volume and all that sort of stuff. And uh, they were saying they do not expect prices to budge at all. Now, what about interest rates? Oh, great. Interest rates. Uh, (laughs) uh, But interest rates don't do that much when you're looking at a price that is unheard of for the same property 10 years ago. Allison says, we're looking around London and literally 800 gets you not very much. I'm moving to Canada. And And that's 800 pounds, right? That's about 900. Is this rent? Is it 800K or 800 pounds? Ooh, yeah, right. Because if it's 800K for an apartment, Man, but if it's 800 for rent, that's pretty cheap relatively to things in like the States. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm paying a grand in rent for my two bedroom place here. So that's probably based on conversion pretty close. And I'm like way out in the boonies. I'm way out in the boonies kind of thing. So, okay, 800,000. Yeah. Okay. 800,000 pounds sterling, which in dollars is like $75 billion. So. <laughs> I think I think your metric to, to imperial system is pretty good there. I think yeah. I think you're doing. I think that okay. was good. Thank you. Thank you. My 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 uh, my mental math was solid there. And then you had a post which I'm actually going to share here. The the speaking of wild real estate value, or you found this post on Instagram. I'm going to pull this link while we're chatting about this, just because it's immediately relevant. Um, Six hundred thousand for a place in Medellin. Um, let me. Draw oh yeah, it's, um, it's unbelievable. If you can actually do a screen share of that live. That would be amazing. Um, so I have friends who just came down and the Colombian, uh, the Colombian, if you're here for crypto and NFTs and Bitcoin, Maxism and Ethereum welcome. failing and all that, welcome. We will eventually get there. We're going to run through some real estate really quickly here. Um, I have friends visiting and after day one, they were both like, how do we get remote jobs and move here? We, we've seen the light. We want to do this. We're getting ready. But this is a picture. This is a video of a home that, it's probably about 30, 40 minutes outside of Medellin Center, like the center. And it goes for 600K US and it's just renobulous. The thing about Medellin that's beautiful is all year round, it's Whoa. like spring. It's just perfect weather all year round. And um, oh, wow. so this wow. apartment is obviously massive and lavish and it's for 600K. And I've seen places, like I've seen penthouses in Bogota that are, I'm, it's going to be hard for me to put the meter square meters into feet right now, yeah, yeah. but we're talking like, so it's, this is the beginning of it. So we're, we're talking, you know, three bedroom, two bath, mm-hmm. expansive, maybe even a terrace. And you're maybe looking at 300 K maybe 250, maybe. And it's one of like the nicer premier cities in most of the Americas. So mm. um, wow. it's definitely my, it's my long-term thing. Like I don't really see another way, but uh, where was I going? So my friends came down and they loved it. And now they're both like, how do, how do we work here? How do we stay here? Like we, you know, we want to do that. And Columbia's come out with a, uh, an actual digital nomad visa, which is interesting. And the Colombian tourist, uh, slogan is probably the best one on the planet. Uh, 
because for so many years, people, especially in the United States, just think Colombia is just like, there's just like shootouts at every corner. It's the dangerous place <laughs> on the planet. And like, because yeah. they've watched too much narcos and like, you know, actually never visited. And the slogan is the best. It is the only risk is wanting to stay. And I've yet to meet a person who's come down here who doesn't like want to spend more time. Um, oh, your only risk in coming down is that the only risk you'll is that stay. you're going to want to stay. Oh, that's oh. great! It's 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 brilliant! It's brilliant! So that's, that's very good marketing. That's and hilarious. Go ahead, Allison. That 800k. That's like just to give you guys an idea. That's 1.33 million. Canadian and so probably you're talking 1.5 1.6 million US no less and it'd be less no 1.1 no I mean there is Google people oh Let's yeah 1.1 you're right you're right yeah, yeah. You, you went up you went right. to go down yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is ridiculous and honestly that reflects Massachusetts prices Massachusetts New York Philadelphia the entire Northeast is just so expensive uh felt the same with Panama and Jared I'll be in Medellin in four weeks Ayo, I like how he says four weeks and not a month. That's so specific. That, that, is, is, that, is, that is very unique. Yeah, yeah, maybe it's a Monaco thing. I don't know. Hasn't he been in Monaco? Like, Tristan, where are you? That's like, that. that's, that's, yeah, that's maybe, some... maybe Tristan's just an AI bot, you know? Maybe. None of us have actually <laughs> met him, you know? He is, he yeah. is, <laughs> he's an avatar, and, and I think he'd be fine with that, actually, you know? If it's, that it's, it's, it's efficient. True. It's efficient. It is yeah. efficient. Now let's let's talk about we're talking about ridiculous metrics yes, and yes. and what's going on. Let's pivot to crypto because we are the not crypto bros and yep. and dive into some of the kind of crazy metrics out there. Are we talking about ETH? Are we talking about what are we? Which are we talking about first? Uh, yeah. let, let's start with ETH. I mean, ETH what is what the hell? What the hell is going on with ETH? There's yeah. a million things going on with ETH. Okay, I mean, let's start it down. Let's start down the, the crazy road of numbers. ETH futures ETFs got approved two, three weeks ago. Oh, yeah. They yep. launched last week. In the they first launched. week, they launched last week with six the futures. different. Yeah, the futures. Six different futures, futures ETH, ETH ETFs. So six different products from six different brokerages offering ETH futures ETFs. Holy. I didn't know they went live. Yeah, they went live yeah. last week. Okay. They, so therefore what? Well, this is the interesting thing. Therefore nothing. Because they in in that one week, they accumulated only twenty million in assets under management. Which That's like one investor. Like that's, that's nothing. It is absolutely nothing. Especially when you consider the fact that in this is in October of 2021, so we've got to compare the the times in the cycle. But when the Bitcoin futures ETFs launched in their first week, they did a billion in assets under management. So you're talking about even the, though we're in the fact that we're in a bit of a bear market, 50x less investment into an ETH futures ETF. Tristan it, was the one investor. Yeah. <laughs> so. Okay, so I mean, it's tragic, but how do we not just chalk this up to the uh, the retail, the TradFi investors just aren't familiar, right? Like none of our DeFi DGENs uh, people made the migration to an ETF. Like they're keeping their money where it's at and on the hopes that an ETF rallies the price. 
So, um, what, what, Jared? Tristan said it was me. I told he was you the that, one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so like, what else are we seeing that's dry? But the price is down, and it's down pretty well. It's been stable generally. So this I would call down hard. Yeah, it's down one percent today. It's down almost. It's down from seventeen thirty-two uh, less than a week ago, or just over a week ago now. Um, it's not looking pretty. And the fact is, is that I'm not really concerned about you and I getting into that futures ETF. This was the first time that institutional players could get into an ETH future, could get exposure to ETH futures ETFs. Uh, and they, there's not, it shows that there's no appetite for that kind of product, that they aren't actually interested in ETH or in the ability to hold ETH within their portfolio because mm. we're not seeing that adoption. Whereas they're, even though there was willingness to pass them and different firms wanted to be able to offer them, there's no appetite. Whereas with Bitcoin, there was a very clear appetite right from the get-go in 2021. So what what does this say about ETH, ETH's potential price in the next little while and, and the sustainability or the institutional interest in ETH moving forward? Mm. Uh, a lot of people have said that, you know, ETH could actually... In, uh, attract more interest than Bitcoin over time because you can do valuation models and it fits that standard narrative. But based on this, at least one week of ev evidence, we're not seeing that. I mean, again, like there's no appetite amongst a new market where we didn't think there was much appetite. Well, we but... thought there was appetite. That's the thing. Everyone thought that there was institutional appetite for ETH futures ETFs. Otherwise, they would wouldn't have had six firms apply for one and we we would have ex like they wouldn't have applied for one if they didn't have clients asking for it are and they reputable what's the company that launched the well the there's different ones uh van eck pro share uh iShares, i think uh like they were reputable firms it's they they were some of the first to launch uh other the bitcoin futures etfs uh, in 2021. So there it's not, I mean, it's not BlackRock or Fidelity, but it's not some tiny little firm either. Mm. That, so that is nutty. And so when you say institutions, the, the projection was that institutions have an appetite. I mean, are we just talking about big companies, traditional companies? Like why didn't Walmart buy up a ton? Why didn't, is that what you're getting at? Well, we're, yeah, either hedge funds, um, Walmarts or institutions that have wanted to add it to their exposure, they they don't have traditional access or even high high net worth individuals who can't necessarily onboard a hundred million onto Coinbase. Uh, mm. So, I think that's that's kind of what I'm getting at. Mm. Tristan says BlackRock is launching the Ukraine ETF right now. ETH will come after, which is interesting. I haven't heard of the Ukraine ETF. That's that's wild. That's worth looking up. Uh, Allison says Tristan can imagine, but that pension fund managers are bringing it forward is good. But that pension, two major pension funds, oh, bringing it forward even as an option um, for the boards to shoot down. So, okay, so therefore what? I mean, is this just, 
Is this just a slight depression? Or we expect? Are you Aussie expecting a major dip? I'm expecting there to be some price action negative on ETH. I, I mean, this is one of several kind of negative pieces of news that are building up against ETH over the last, I'd say, two to three weeks now. Um, oh, <laughs> okay, Tristan. He says 100% a joke since they're rebuilding the country from the ground up. Got it. Okay, might as well be the Ukraine ETF. Got it. Understood. I feel that. So, so go ahead. this is not the only kind of, this is like just the start of a building block of what's negative stories for ETH. What, what do you got, Grant? Well, you're looking very fresh today. <laughs> yeah, he's he's looking like Tom Cruise from Dirty Dancing. I'm not what? convinced he even has pants on. He's just ah. lying around. <laughs> Let's see. Let's see. No, sorry, not not Dirty Dancing. What's it? What's it? Risky Business. You know that scene? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I think it's Risky Business. Isn't risky. It? Sorry, that was uh, another. That was Swayze and Dirty Dancing. Grant, yeah, nice yeah. pants. Nice pants, guy. Thank you. Well, you know, I don't know. So, so these guys know for the public. Like I've been like uh, quiet in the chat quite a bit. And, and me and Jared opened a little bit with this, but I've, I've had to keep focus on my web two business. Um, it's, it's, it's weird out there. And that's what kind of, that's why we're talking about what we're talking about. Like what do people find confidence in? So I've got to focus on stabilizing. I don't think that there's any indication that the market is going to tank. I don't think there's any indication that the market is going to rally. Like, I predict a sideways market for some time, but um, I'm looking fresh because I am I'm trying a new thing. I'm meaning, I'm trying to be present um, in IRL where and when relevant. Um, meaning, I'm seeing it's weird where we're seeing ROI now. I basically is what I'm experimenting with. Where do I actually see real ROI other than van what we, in marketing we call vanity metrics? How many followers do you have? Vanity metrics, are the followers converting? How many, um, you know, what are your impressions? Vanity metrics, how are those impressions converting? What's really getting you clicks and, or not clicks, but like buys and conversions. And so for me, like, like honestly, I'm looking at crypto and I'm going, I don't know if they're going to survive the ETFication of, at least not alts. Are going to survive the ETFication of the tradfication of a lot of crypto. I don't know if they'll survive it because you're, you're right, Aussie. It is revealing. Um, uh, it's revealing that there that maybe the appetite there is an appetite for crypto. But for those who had the appetite, they're in crypto in DeFi. They're on Coinbase. They're doing direct uh, swaps and direct trades. And like, why do we need an ETF is, is, the, is the now the running question. I'm wondering, how does this affect Bitcoin ETF launches? Well, interesting you bring that up because ex-BlackRock directors were all part of this big summit uh, that was happening in London, I believe, uh, last week. And they all said that Bitcoin ETFs were three to, three to six months away. Okay. Uh, and they were... There was another very interesting comment that they made, and I'm trying to make sure I quote them correctly uh, so that I don't I don't butcher this. But they they seem to say, suggest that there was more of an appetite for Bitcoin than there was for ETH in terms of ETF interest at the moment. Uh, they think that the grayscale will definitely be 
uh, converted into an ETF. And they, uh, they believe that spot inflows will be somewhere around 150 to 200 billion over the first three years, mm. uh, which would double or triple the amount of assets under management in current Bitcoin products outside of uh, Bitcoin. Hmm. Is this all just engineered? No, I, I, I think is we're... What, is what all just engineered? Um, these pricing games. These pricing games. Like, the longer I go, the more I feel like they're trying to make crypto a completely manipulable asset in terms of pricing. You know, Jared, like you were commenting on real estate earlier and real estate is manipulatable, obviously with, um, uh, with uh, the interest rates, hands down. And it's not so, it's not so easy to manipulate price mm -hmm. um, because price is a supply issue and there's so many sources of supply. I know there's a big myth out there about, you know, how many properties BlackRock owns. They're buying up. They're trying to make everyone renters not own anything. But if you actually look at the percentages, it's like less than 1% of, sure. uh, of actual property. So when you look at pricing, people are doing the Wild West out there like Aussie offering half the market rate. And some people are biting, some people are not. There's more elasticity to price in, in real estate. And, and in your own business. And so right now, as crypto has made a very slow slog towards ETFs, and by slow, I mean this. We know that in the crypto winter that started 2017, 2018, the actual winter then, or the dip, that was largely in reflection engineered. Uh, big tech came in and shut down all ads. Big tech came in and shut down, like uh, Jarrett, you've been talking about how some of your stuff has been blocked from being posted that's labeled Bitcoin or what have you. And I'll let you talk about more about that in a second. But back then, we had created a course called the Smart Crypto, Smart Crypto uh, Coach, Smart Crypto Coach, and um, spent a coin making this phenomenal course. This phenomenal course. And as soon as we launched, all ads. We couldn't do any paid ads at all. And then we couldn't open accounts. And so when I say it was engineered, I mean all conduits of communication about crypto products and crypto services were being blocked. Um, mm -hmm. So we know that in hindsight that that happened. Then what happened is a lot of the institutions, and by institutions I mean big companies, came in and started their own blockchain development arms like Walmart is the big one I'm thinking of. They have the largest internal blockchain arm because they, they were almost put out of business entirely by Amazon. And they've been on the rope since. And they're not going to get blindsided again. And there are hundreds, if not thousands, of traditional companies that have already started focusing on blockchain, developing their own blockchain uh, solutions and interoperability. Um, so they've been working on it for five years, six years five or six years. And meanwhile, these ETFs and traditional finance and instruments for the public to trade have been delayed and delayed and delayed. And now we're getting them. What, Aussie? See, I, I, I hear your diatribe and, and what's going on here. <laughs> and, but let me just have a stank face and, and get you to stop. <laughs> yeah, because I'm, I'm going to give you gold. Everyone's favorite Bitcoin example. Bitcoin, uh, gold has been traded for 
hundreds upon hundreds of years, yeah. thousands of years. Gold first got its first ETF somewhere around 2004. The BlackRock ETF on gold was in 2004-ish. It was a thousand-year-old product, over a thousand-year-old product at the time. Okay. Bitcoin's 13 years old. Mm-hmm. Bitcoin, Bitcoin is a very, very new product compared to most things that get an ETF. Yeah. So I don't necessarily know that they're dragging their feet. I think dragging their feet is a very interesting way to put it because in, in some ways you could say it's due diligence because it was a 13 year old product and it's well now it's a 13 year old product, but they're, they are pushing pretty hard to have it approved after only 13 years. Whereas gold, no one pushed for an ETF on gold until 2004 after it was maybe been traded for 2000 years. So I, I think that there's maybe not as big of a, Hey, have they been dragging their feet? Have is price manipulated 100%? Price is manipulated by liquidity. It's manipulated by how much how much does the Fed printing? What's go, like macro all these macro factors that impact not only the stock market, they impact crypto because it's a risk on asset even more. So yes, price is manipulated and yes as you know, companies can kind of manipulate the price. I mean, BlackRock is a shareholder in the five biggest uh crypto uh, bitcoin mining companies and so i'm sure blackrock might have a say in how much bitcoin they sell uh as part of their them paying for their their profits and paying making sure they keep their operation going because if blackrock doesn't want the bitcoin sold blackrock could float them alone or if they want the bitcoin sold they could push them hard to sell the Bitcoin to drive the price down. 100% that is a thing that could happen and is probably happening. And that's not a big deal. It's, I, I think the ETFs aren't going to change that. I it, don't think it's a big deal. I think it's, I'm not saying like this grand conspiracy. I'm saying um, it's not a big deal. That's part for the course. And therefore what? Therefore, when I say dragging their feet also like, okay, relative to gold, you mean relative to before we had all the digitization methods to accelerate something going on to ETFs, like relative to the digitization age itself, this is feet dragging by feet dragging. I mean, they're positioning and they're positioning themselves yeah. to be able to treat this like a commodity. And here's my thing. Like, I think there's a huge reckoning, maybe not for everybody, but inside of me, about crypto as a as a better investment than real estate, there like Bitcoin being the exception um, for for all the obvious reasons. It's 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 starting to be treated more and more like the darling. So not just because of its tack, not just because of maxi reasons, but because of the messaging. I feel like I'm hearing from a lot of the institutions. I think there will be a special place for Bitcoin. I think they're, they're positioning for that. So when I talk about this feet dragging, all I'm getting at is you better be about your business because there's going to be very few thousand X home runs left. Oh, I a hundred percent think that they're altcoins. I think we're in store for an altcoin reckoning in terms of there's over 3000 altcoins right now. And I think going into the next bull market, there's probably going to be 1500 
that are really actively traded or maybe even a thousand, I think we're going to see a massive reckoning. Uh, this is why I'm talking about all of the things that are going on with ETH. Uh, one thing that's interesting is ETH actually, as a company or the ETH Foundation, has generated, reached the something billion in revenue mark, 10 billion in revenue mark, faster than Facebook, faster than Microsoft, and ETH is well, hopefully they young. haven't kept it in ETH. Because well, <laughs> they've been they've been slowly cashing stuff out. They've been sure. I mean they just sold another two million dollars worth of ETH uh, a couple days ago. The foundation mm. slowly cashes out. They hold and they they cash out at times. So really, I, I do agree with you that there's gonna there's not maybe as many thousand X's left out there. Mm -mm. Uh, mm -mm. But I do still think that there's there's still some a thousand X's out there. I just think right this exact moment is not the right time. Mm. Uh, we can go into the ETH Bitcoin value valuation chart and all the altcoins compared to their B, uh, their Bitcoin chart right now. And I can tell you there are very few mm. that are beating Bitcoin this year. And many of them are making new lows against Bitcoin this year new lows against bitcoin yeah wow i believe and, that and that always happens like in the year pre-having and we're we still haven't flushed all the altcoins out to see which ones will actually survive and be players in the next bull market and so mm. eth right now is feeling that pain and eth will lead that charge down mm. ETH, and that's why i'm talking about all of these kind of negative factors i mean ETH transaction fees are at their lowest since November of 2022 when we had FTX just happen mm. and network activity was at an all-time low. All-time low? Well, close to an all-time low in terms of uh, really? this, real, this bull bear market. So ETH transactions are at massive lows uh, for, this, uh, for this market, uh, for this bull market and bear market cycle. Now, that's interesting. Has development on like dApps, how, like, you know, it'd be an interesting statistic is how many dApp Git pushes have happened on GitHub? Uh, how many commits? Basically, when someone has a dev, uh, development, you can see a flow, like, uh, like, like a volume flow on a chart. You can see the volume. I wonder how commits are happening. Like, and like, are we seeing, like, these all-time low transactions, they're not jumping over to Solana. We're not seeing like a spike over at other no. networks. No. The the argument right now is partially that the L2 – the one argument that I would say in favor of ETH is it means that the uh, L2 layering and scaling is working because L2s pack those transactions together into singular transactions on the ETH blockchain. And therefore, you are – fees are coming down it's probably because usage on l2s is up and it has been in general up and that people are building in those l2s that are helping ETH scale but that doesn't stop eth from having these low transactions it doesn't stop eth from going inflationary again it doesn't stop the fact that there hasn't been appetite for eth on uh institutional etfs there hasn't been appetite for eth in terms of its eth bitcoin chart and so I, I'm seeing, I don't think ETH is dying. Uh, this is what I, that's what I said in our chat as I said, ETH is dying. It's not dying, but 
it's getting ready for for its reckoning uh and and reviewing and everybody getting back in line with what the the valuation looks like man so go ahead jared go ahead yeah well i've got a couple things to say one i think a future etf in this time of the market tells us nothing about eth it also does nothing about versus a spot that's a good point. Yeah, it tells us nothing about institutional appetite for ETH. I think it's actually fairly high. Uh, I just think that people don't want to take loans out in fiat to buy assets right now because the percentage points are so high and it seems uncertain. If it was a 0% interest world, then yeah, they might you know go out and get a loan to buy some ETH even in the future. Um, the other thing, Grant, I, I, I thought Aussie's point was really great that like you know we've had gold for thousands of years and we've used that as a mechanism to trade value, but it took till 2004. And what I was thinking about that is that derivatives started in like the late 80s, early 90s in uh, financial markets. And then really like the advent of the internet really kicked in in the late 90s where people, at least in the United States, started to have a computer in like one in every three homes. And then by, you know, early 2000s, there were computers in many homes. Definitely by the end of the 2000s, most households in the United States had a computer. So the appetite for an ETF to get it into a retail market was just, it kind of like all came together at once. I think if we had the digitization of our financial products and our financial world in the 1960s, we probably would have had a gold ETF in the 1970s or 1980s. Um, I, and, and that's where I, 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 but I go back and forth. It's like, are we rushing to an ETF for Bitcoin? That wasn't on my bingo card for this year, honestly, but now it's very much going to be, it's a when, not an if, whether it's BlackRock or Fidelity. And um, it, it, it's yet to be seen how that's going to play out and how it's going to affect the market, how it's going to affect hash rate. I know at Compass, we're constantly just always talking about hash rate. Like, what's the global hash? How much of that do we control? How much of that, you know, we're, we're interested in that. New miners are coming out that are going to be more efficient. You know, that's that's really the game. And the Black, uh, Fidelity put out this PDF, and I, I can share it. It's it's called uh, Bitcoin First Revisited, and it basically this is this is what the cover says. It says um, why why investors need to consider Bitcoin separately from other digital assets. And I haven't read through all of it. I'm going to be posting it tomorrow on Compass's channels, though. But basically, it's like this is the thing. Everything this is the signal amongst the noise. Uh, if you're an investor. It's, this is an actual investment. This is good. This is an actual commodity. I think ETH is too now, to be fair. But this is a thing. Everything else is a security. Everything else is kind of a gamble. Um, and that's just really how I start to feel now about most things. Um, I actually know a good amount of maxis that have a good amount of ETH, myself included, just because we got into ETH and we never sold. And now we're just in our hodl mode. And we're like, well, we're not going to sell it now. We'll see what happens, you know. But I do know most people are looking to, myself included, when that ETH does go up to a price point to sell it. And looking at the ETH-Bitcoin yes. relationship right now, normally ETH and Bitcoin sit, ETH sits around 8 to 12%. That's like historically what it has. Right now it's around 6%. So it's definitely dropped off compared to its normal peg to, to Bitcoin from the ETH to Bitcoin. And in the last seven days, according to Corn Market Cap, uh, Ethereum has dropped about 6% while Bitcoin's up almost a quarter percent. So Bitcoin is really kind of, stable in its price over the last week, whereas ETH has definitely taken a hit for probably a myriad of reasons. And yeah. there's also probably other things that we just don't, you know, news that we're just not aware of, right? There's so much news in this sector that could affect this. Um, I do think, however, moving forward, the relationship between 
physical energy and digital money is really at the backbone of Bitcoin. And I do think ETH going off proof of work was a huge flaw in, in their security system and how the blockchain basically, uh, you know, operates and, and people's relationship to it. So that's super interesting. I'm going to ta tap on three things that you just said. First, Bitcoin hash rate has just hit a all new all-time high for the seven-day hash rate. So we're definitely seeing more and more miners come online, which interestingly enough, whenever the log of the hash rate and the log of the price of Bitcoin touch, it's generally a signal of the top in terms of the market. And right now they're, they're not anywhere close. Uh, and so that's uh, quite interesting. So whenever the price comes up and meet, meets the hash rate and usually bumps up over the hash rate a little bit, this actually generally signals the top in the market, which is very interesting. And we're continuing to see hash rate climb. So Bitcoin price will overall need to climb to match that. In terms of other factors, I mean, ETH has gone inflationary. They're printing somewhere around 1,200 ETH per day between burning and with their hmm. minting and rewards. So this has happened in the last, it started a, a month ago, but it's gotten more, more serious in the last two weeks where they're expecting that we'll probably print 30, somewhere, somewhere around 30,000 new ETH this month compared to what we actually would be burning. So this is going to have a mat that's potentially having an impact on the price right now and why it's dropping. And then finally, JP Morgan actually shared your opinion about the, the move to proof of stake, uh, bringing more centralization to Ethereum. And there's something that with this new, the new liquidity, liquid staking providers that actually are, is making that risk even greater, but I'll let Grant, who seems to be, seems to have a point brewing, uh, hop in first. No, just a question. Um, I thought the whole proof of stake and burn mechanism concept was to make it deflationary. But there's a reward system that's making it inflationary? So right now, what happens is ETH from transaction fees, a portion of ETH from transaction fees is burned. Yeah. But... Uh, stakers are rewarded at a fixed percentage. Mm. Uh, although that percentage has dropped, it used to be close to seven. It's now somewhere around five and a half percent. There, that changes. And usually, and for when we first moved to proof of stake and started the burns, this the rate of burning was above the rate of minting. So there was enough transactions every day mm. and the, trans the transaction fees were high enough that we were burning more ETH from those transactions than what we were printing in rewards. But right now, because transaction volumes are low and fees are low, we're actually printing more ETH than we're burning from those transaction fees. This is painting a picture of, as we're entering this new era, and, and I do want to hang a question out there that maybe we'll get to by the end of the show, maybe not. So let me just hang this question. We don't have to answer it now. Why? It's just now occurring to me why any ETF would affect the price of Ethereum. We'll get to that in a second. Um, but this is painting a, a sentiment to me of less predictability than when it was the Wild West. 
to me, th these moves and these changes, they're, it's revealing... Sorry, my, my, my Google thing. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Stop buying ETH. Buy Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shut your face and using trigger words. Um, <laughs> it seems to me that it is revealing flaws in the ecosystem, except for Bitcoin, which is just nutty. But it's revealing flaws in the system that it's almost like no one had real foresight on until we got into it. And now that we're mm -hmm. into it, I like these things make me sketch. Like what? 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 What specifically? Because so, Aussie Aussie laid out some good stuff there. He did. I mean, like the fact that oh, I mean, no. When we went to their burn mechanism in ETH, I remember when that happened. I remember when we went to proof of stake, and it was like a series of releases that happened over about an eighteen month period. And this was go. The, the message was this was going to make ETH deflationary. And it was the new deflationary asset. And, and my question is, wait, did no one do the maths at some point that this could then turn around and become inflationary? And it's like, well, no, we did the maths. But so that flaw of like, who's watching the who's watching the back door, so to speak? And so it's like, why are we saying this, but getting this? And then if the ETFs are actually affecting price this way, it's like, wait a minute. So like traditionally do ETFs, how do ETFs affect the price of the underlying asset? And then specifically with ETH, how does that work? So with gold, and I think we talked about this a couple episodes ago, there was a, there was an image that was floating around, excuse me, floating around Twitter. And it was saying that I think in the first couple quarters when the ETF dropped for gold, it like double or tripled the price because in order to back the ETF, they had to actually physically go out and buy gold. Yeah. And so the demand basically just shot up. Um, and I think we would see the similar thing. And, I, and once again, I'm not sure how it would work with ETH, but I, you know, as far as how it works with Bitcoin, you know, BlackRock, if they have sold 100 billion of ETF, they would have to have 100 billion of, of Bitcoin uh, stored away. At least, you know, if $100 comes in, they need to be able to have $100 of Bitcoin to back it. And then as that appreciates, obviously, it's like it's good good for everybody to be fair um that's how i understand it to be i think it's fairly simple and that's where when aussie talks about you know 100 to 200 billion coming in over the first couple of years i actually think it will be 100 to 200 billion in the first 12 months depending on the timing of when the etf is dropped uh, and the overall market sentiment and where interest rates are because if we look ahead right the having is 27 weeks out from this friday um within a within a give or take three to five days right depending on hash rate depending on other things being equal and then that puts us in mid-march sorry that puts us in april or, or, or may but probably late april we may also by that time have an etf this is what we've been talking about in the chat right we may also have the etf the halving will happen and we may also get some kind of a money printing and a lower interest rate Right, which is another, in some sense, form of money printing, as it incentivizes people to, to to leverage debt to buy assets or you know do stuff that they want to do. So that's where it shapes up. Where I think that like if the ETF were to drop next summer, even which is a little bit farther down the line, but the halving's happening happened, the uh, interest rates are coming down, and maybe there's some kind of money printing that Biden has to do. Um, that's where like in over that next year, as we get maybe into a bull run. And things get a little bit more positive because we've been talking, okay, like the market's weird. That's where I think like 100 billion plus could easily come into an ETF. Of as, Bitcoin. 
I'm just talking about Bitcoin. Yeah, let me be specific. I'm just talking about Bitcoin. Because the other thing is like $100 billion isn't a lot of money compared to all the money that's out there and the fact that the Fed can print unlimited amounts of money. So, Well, I think you know. I feel like there is, I think the powers that be, um, there's a correlation between censorship and what people are trying to control. And by control, I don't necessarily mean limit. I mean benefit from the fact that they control it. Um, so my thinking is this, when I think about Bitcoin, we just saw, there's a correlation to me and the shutdown of Instagram accounts around Bitcoin and the powers that be to me, that is an indicator of the value of Bitcoin because they're trying to position themselves. They're trying to slow their role. When was the last time you saw, uh, an Insta, uh, an Instagram account post? Oh, they wouldn't let me post about Ethereum or Shiba Inu. Like, it's like, no, don't care. Like, and even I'm looking right here. It says we restrict certain activity to protect the community. If they were protecting the community with this censorship, they'd be like, okay, no more Pepe coin discussions. What are we talking about here? No more SNCC discussions, right? But like we would maybe let Bitcoin hex, communicate. Hex they, only, baby. Hex, hex only. only. And so, but I mean, they can't account for everything. They can't go through coin market cap and add all the ticker symbols and go, hey, let's block all of this, I guess. I mean, theoretically mm -hmm. they could. But to me, that's a green flag for Bitcoin. All of these changes happening to Ethereum right now are to me massive red flags in my personal confidence this afternoon. This conversation has got me like I need to go read some headlines because you know I've already sold some real estate because or it's in the process of being sold because we're consolidating. But this has got me concerned. I'm well above my dollar cost average because I've just been in so long. But um, and I don't know about you guys, but like I'm doing pretty good on my DCA. And if what we're saying is, is true about all things crypto less Bitcoin, then I might have to adjust some profit taking ASAP. So, okay, I, I want to say one thing because I think that the statements that are, we're talking about ETH in terms of why ETH is inflationary right now, that is a short term issue. It's a short, it's a right now, I like, we're getting bear market signals in terms of we're probably we're in the boring phase of the market. We're seeing some liquidity dry up and we're probably like, I do think altcoins will drop in the next three months, but uh, we're BlackRock. These ex BlackRock directors are expecting approval in three to six months on the, wow. the, the ETF. So that puts them perfectly on my January on the, the short end. It puts them perfectly at my January approval date. They expect all ETFs to be approved at the same time because they don't think that the that the SEC wants to get themselves involved in uh, giving anyone a competitive advantage and getting sued for it. Mm. So, uh, I so I'm really looking at a three three month scenario where we're already seeing uh, the media prime us for the fact that we are going to see a pivot. Uh, we'll probably see money printing in the next three to six months um the wow so yeah go chair yeah what what um that'd be great first of all for anyone that's been dcaing also not financial advice but seriously think about it uh <laughs> <laughs> but i'm no, doing it yeah but i'm doing i'll tell you what i'm doing man uh what what tells you that there's going to be printing be so, and i say that because normally there's not printing when interest rates are so high like it's kind of like 
uh, it's like, you know, being at the gym on the gym on the treadmill and eating a Big Mac. It doesn't really make sense. It's like, okay, what are we doing here? What's the mission? So this is where I think there there's some very interesting messaging going on from media and from the uh, from the government in the U.S. especially. But it has to do with the conflicts that are going on in the world. Uh, okay. So when even before what's happened in between Israel and Palestine, in the last two to three weeks, I've been seeing a lot of media about the fact that military reserves of ammunition and other military products that are necessary to continue supporting Ukraine, but guaranteeing the defense of the U.S. and other countries are running dangerously low or they're running low and they're being they're concerned about how much they'll be able to continue to pro provide Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And what we know about how this that's going to happen is they're going to act, they're talking about well we're going to have to up production. They're starting talking about low supply right now. They haven't necessarily started talking about upping production, although a few articles have kind of hinted that there's been incentives. They're talking about incentives for def defense contractors to start uh, upping production. And that is likely to lead to a money printing event. And Jarrett, uh, well, you seem to be chomping at the mic right now. Yeah. So, so we, I, I shared this in the, in the chat that we have, but I wanted to, I wanted to just, I'm going to probably read it out. It's a little long, but it's from Anthony Pompliano. It says, war breaks out somewhere in the world. And then there's an arrow. Other nations ask the U.S. for weapons and money. Arrow. U.S. gives it to other nations. Arrow. U.S. begins to run low on weapons and money. Arrow. Money breaks, uh, more war breaks out globally because U.S. is weak. Arrow. Other nations ask U.S. for weapons and money. Arrow. Cycle repeats. Mm. And he says, as the U.S. gets weaker and the world becomes more chaotic, we will be forced, we being the United States, will be forced to increase our national debt at a furious pace in order to pay for all the weapons and money we are giving everyone else. Mm. You are watching a global chess game between superpowers. China and others uh, never have to even enter into direct conflict with the U.S. to secure victory if they can simply watch us bleed ourselves dry. And then one, the biggest comment that uh, Pompliano responded to, which I loved, which is like, we in the U.S. literally spend $800 billion plus a year on defense, more than the second through 10th countries combined. Wow. Um, and if there were another Bitcoin Maxi here who could speak on this, and I don't want to Bitcoin Maxi you, you boys to death today. But one of the biggest things that Jack Dorsey talks about when he talks about Bitcoin and he really gets into like a philosophic uh, vibe is that. If you make it impossible, if you can't print money to create war, then you stop having wars because on a hard money system, the people are really going to push back, right? Uh, but in this inflationary fiat money system, the people may not see it because inflation takes, you know, it's the slow knife, right? Um, mm -hmm. It's the idea of the, of the frog in the water, even though apparently that's not true. But, you know, people won't revolt as much. Whereas if you're like, okay, we can either go to war or you guys can send or, you know, or you get free lunches at school right? Then there's mm. going to be an issue. Um, and on a hard money system or Bitcoin, where you can't just go print money out of thin air, that's where you actually have to have more of like a democratic process about what we want to do with our resources. Yeah. But in, as long as the US can continue to print money, they're just going to be able to prop up war around the world and, and come to the come to the rescue. And I mean, that's post-World War II has been what, we, what we've done. We are the big stick on the neighborhood. And we've had to put out fires around the globe, whether we want to or not. We feel like we have to. Um, mm. If there's a bully, we feel like we need to step in. Oh, and yeah. It, and this new Israel and Palestine situation has been tough to watch because it's something that's been boiling for decades. 
Um, and it's been tough for me personally to watch as someone who's in IR, who has friends and people, you know, in the Gaza Strip. And then all of a sudden, everyone on Instagram is just like, stand for Israel, stand for Palestine. I'm like, you didn't care about this a week ago. You couldn't even put these places on a map. Yeah. You, you know nothing about the history. And so it feels really performative right now. Um, sure. and, and that's, I guess, where I'm going to leave that on that conversation. But yeah. going back to what Aussie's talking about, about the, the, the you know, ammunition running dry, for example, powder running dry. There's not really an easy way out of this. And the one thing I will say is that if the U.S. actually had to pay its debt, the U.S. would be as poor, and using air quotes, as probably 150 other countries in the world if we think about like poverty lines and stuff. Most other countries are just hamstringed and they have to pay money back to Europe, now mm. China, or the U.S. at an exorbitant rate that they can't do it. So their currencies devalue as they try to print more money to solve the problem, but they're pegged to the dollar. Mm. Um, that is happening all over Latin America and it's going to continue to happen. Uh, and that's my pitch for Bitcoin. But the great part about this episode, episode 100, is you guys have been doing the Lord's work out here for Maxism, and I love it. So thank, uh, you. thank uh, you so much. So I will add a couple more things. The other thing that I've been noticing is I watch CME in terms of in predictions for interest rates. In the last week and a half, we've seen predictions for increases in interest rates uh, cut in more than half for the next two meetings. So we were talking about expectations of somewhere around 30 to 40 percent uh, in December. Uh, we are cut, now cut, cutting it. interest rates from like five. I think we're at five two five to five and a half or something like that. It's just yeah, like we're cutting at five, it down two, to, five three. to five and a half. Well, so right now, expectations heading into December up until a week ago were uh, they were about 40 percent expecting a raise in December. Okay. They were expecting. Uh, interest rates to be between 5.5 and five and three quarters. That expectation has cut in half, although it's jumped a bit today. It was, it's now somewhere around 24 to 27%. So we're seeing a pretty dramatic decline in expectations of rate increases. And we're seeing the expectation of rate cuts uh, starting to jump up, especially right. if you look towards March, May, where, a week ago, expectations for only a quarter basis cut, but a cut no, nonetheless sure. was originally 7.5%. We're now sitting around 23.5%. Wow. So the, the, general, the general sentiment in terms of potential decrease in pivot from the Fed has started to ground itself, and we're starting to see that sentiment in the market as well as talking about printing. Mm. That being said, time for shoutouts. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's I episode sh- 100, so yeah. I, shout out to anyone who's been hundreds. around for 100 episodes, but <laughs> um, shout out. I mean, shout out to Diamond Hands. I mean, if we are at this juncture, I feel like the prehistoric era could be coming to crypto generally, except for Bitcoin. And for anyone who has had Diamond Hands, you have learned something. And we might make money. We might have made money. I made money on DCA so far. I'm not saying the party's over. It just feels today like it is. But that's my shout out. Jarrett, what do you got? Uh, my shout out is twofold. 
First of all, shout out to you boys uh, for your come to Satoshi moments on this episode. It's been very nice to watch. I'm very happy to see it. It's like watching my children grow up. Uh, and then uh, shout out to Jackie, who's not here, but wanted to be here, got caught up in work. Uh, she's more of our institutional voice. and would have been great for her to weigh in on a lot of the topics that we were talking about today. So shout out to you boys for uh, getting all the way here to episode 100. And shout yeah. out to Jackie as well, who's definitely a part of this tribe. Yeah, man. I'm going to shout out all of our viewers, uh, Tristan, Allison, George Pate, everybody yeah. who tunes in every week and yeah. comes to laugh with us, comes to learn with us, yeah. comes to share news that we don't even know about uh, and share their experiences. So huge shout out to them and huge shout out to you guys because yeah. we're building something awesome and we keep going at it week in and week out. So yeah, cheers man. to episode 100. Cheers to episode 100, boys. Cheers. Thanks for stopping by. See us next week, Tuesday at 4 p.m.